they're seeing a heartbeat, you know, it's very exciting. It really tells you this is no longer hand waving, you know, you're, you're getting an organ filled embryo. Yeah, and, and as you know, just recently we got an email from a young 22-year-old uh, woman that very emotionally wrote to us that uh, she lost the ability to to procreate because she was diagnosed with cancer and she didn't have time to freeze her egg before she had to undergo chemo, chemotherapy. And, you know, people want to have their own babies. And, and it's very emotional and hopefully we can solve this problem one day. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that NFX is interested in edge case solutions to big problems. We'd like to explore what's happening on the margins of the network before it gets huge. So today, we're highlighting a landmark scientific moment, the ability to grow synthetic embryos without a sperm or egg outside the womb. This breakthrough was published in the scientific journal Cell and was covered by the New York Times, Washington Post, Business Insider, and many more. To explain what this means for the future of tech bio, NFX Bio general partner Amr Jory sat down with the lead author of this work and founder of Renewal Bio, Dr. Jacob Hanna of the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel. We hope you enjoy this conversation. So hello everyone, my name is Omri, I'm a GP at NFX, and today we're going to talk about breakthrough science. And we have with us Professor Jakob Hanna from the Weizmann Institute. Hello Jakob. Hi Omri. So we just started a new company called Renewal Bio, based on the breakthrough technology from your lab. And the world is buzzing about the, the research that was just published. And this podcast, this NFX podcast, is usually geared toward uh, entrepreneurs and, and founders. Uh, so maybe they don't understand biology much, but, you know, this is quite amazing. And I believe one day we'll win the Nobel Prize. So you heard it first here. <laughs> so today we want to discuss your, your journey uh, uh, towards, uh, you know, creating synthetic embryos. That was a paper that was published in Cell just a month ago. So maybe we can start by, you know, your background, you know. Where did you start and how did you get to, to be a professor at Weizmann? Yeah. Um, well, thank you for the, for, for the enthusiasm. We're very excited. We hope, you know, we believe that you know, this can be, become something important. Um, so I'm originally trained uh, as a physician. I'm a licensed physician in Israel, but I uh, did a PhD in immunology, actually. And after that, I uh, did a postdoc on uh, stem cells at MIT, uh, right at the time where there was a breakthrough that you can actually take a skin cell or a blood cell and completely reverse it back to become a stem cell. So you don't need to have embryo-derived stem cells. And um, uh, we've been working... On that, since you know, when I, my postdoc from 2007 for 15 years, and overall, we're trying to tackle this big question which faces modern society, and the challenge is really how do we come up with a source for organ transplants and for cell transplant that, from the, that are identical to the patient. As you know today, if you want to treat a disease and find an organ donor, it's very difficult to find one. And even if you do, the DNA is never identical. So there's always going to be a rejection and you need immune suppression and so forth. So you know, this, the, the, since the discovery of these iPSs 15 years ago, uh, the, the idea is that now we, ha now we have stem cells that are identical to the patient, the challenge remains, how do we move forward and make organs and cells for transplantation from them? It is important to emphasize that 
we cannot take embryonic or these IPS cells that just inject them to the patient. You know, if you put them in the lung, they're not going to become lung cells just by learning from their neighbors. You actually have to differentiate them. You have to make cells that are mature, defined population, and only those you can uh, transplant them. And that actually uh, has proven a very difficult challenge, and that's what we've been trying to solve for, for the last 12 years. So last year you published a, a really interesting paper in Nature where you show you can take natural mouse embryos and grow them ex utero uh, to day eight and a half. And again, mouse uh, pregnancy is only 20 days, so it's a big part of the pregnancy. Uh, can you tell us more about uh, that research? Yeah. So I think, um, I think it's important to realize what is, why we, we're doing this and why this is leading up to this. So we're not just like, you know, one morning, let's start growing embryos and so forth. Uh, but actually, as I mentioned, we're trying, we want to stem cells to become organs. And to do that, we need to understand and imitate the embryo. How does the embryo makes its organs? But the challenge uh, for this really is that the embryo does this process, what's called gastrulation, which is making the organ progenitors, and organogenesis, which is mature organ formation. It happens right when a small embryo, which is just a ball of stem cells, enters the uterus. So in the mouse, this happens within five days. You get entire embryo, which then becomes a fetus because it has its, all its um, uh, organs. And the uterus is not transparent. We cannot see what's happening. And also at these late stages, even if you take an embryo out, you cannot put it back. So, for example, you cannot take it, perturb it, and watch what is the outcome. And this is even in mice. If you're talking about human beings, this is, we're completely in the dark because usually you're talking about stages in pregnancy that are so early that usually a woman doesn't know she's pregnant at all. So that's why we decided to really think, can we grow make basically mammalian embryos like zebrafish or frogs, meaning grow outside the uterus. And, and this is also a fundamental question, you know, can you get capture gastrulation and organogenesis outside the mammalian uterus? Is it possible at all? And what we published last year really was the, the end result of a, a very long eight-year study where we basically um, developed a platform which consists of uh, an electronic device and also the media conditions to grow these embryos because you don't have a uterus and maternal blood supply. And the system is basically, you can think of it as a ventilation machine. We're not ventilating the mouse lung, but actually ventilating the environment of the embryo. And, and we learned over the years what are the parameters that are critical to really get the embryos growing, such as, for example, also pressure, controlled exposure to light, and so forth. And also what are the nutrients in the media that need to make this embryo grow? And really what, what that paper really showed that um, you know, this was a big uh, jump from before where you could grow embryos maybe for one day and the embryos were actually abnormal. You can go from day five to day 11 in the mouse embryo. So this is six days, uh, which is about a third of mouse pregnancy. But again, this is the critical phases that we're after because this is exactly from pre-gastrulation to late organogenesis. We can really see the entire continuum of this happening outside the uterus. So this taught us as a principle, really, that, that really you can capture entire organ formation in mammals outside the uterus. It shows you that the embryo is self-organizing in a way. So the pattern, or what's called 
the morphogens, which makes the morph, meaning in Latin, the shape of the embryo, is dictated by the embryo itself and not by the uterus. And then the uterus, of course, is very efficient and important, but it's actually more about metabolic supply, which we can substitute uh, in that uh, regard. So that was really the, the study last year, but also it constituted, I would say, the bottleneck for, for the entire field because it solved the bottleneck, which led us to the current study where you actually, what happens, you know, if you put aggregates of stem cells, or you can call them organoids or embryoids from stem cells, what if you put them in this device, what would happen? Um, because you can think that the field of this, what's called synthetic embryos. So these are cell embryos that are made from stem cells, unlike, you know, what we call natural embryos, which are made after fertilization of sperm and egg. That field was really stuck because you had, you know, a lot of great papers making, you know, small aggregates of stem cells, like very, very em early embryos that do not have any organs. Um, but you couldn't know, are these real embryos? Can they become organ-filled embryos, basically? And that is because, well, if you cannot grow a natural embryo outside, you know, how are you going to be able to, to, to grow synthetic embryos? So basically what we did last year becomes what I call the positive control or the reference control. So now we know what it takes. We know what are the conditions that are needed to allow a mouse embryo in this case to go through gastrointestinal organogenesis. So we know what it takes. And the question was, what happens if we put stem cells and the question, which type of stem cells? in this setting, and would they make something that is similar to an embryo or not? So last year really was the, the, the technology and the platform, uh, the bottleneck, and now, is, which is, I guess is the most important result in the current study, which really allowed, which showed actually quite simply that the same conditions, the same device, the same media, the same parameters, that if you take stem cells, what we call them naive, in a naive state, really the stem cells that are grown in a state that is very similar to the earliest stages in the, in the embryo. They can start growing. We start with like a clump of 25 cells and alone over a process of eight days, they start organizing uh, themselves into an embryo-like structure. And if we, if we learned last year that embryos are self-organizing to make their organs, now we're learning that stem cells are self-organizing to be make embryo-like structures, which are self-organizing to develop uh, and make organs. And um, in this context, I think um, uh, we can reach, as I mentioned, day eight and a half. Um, uh, and eight and a half in development, it is after gastrulation, post-gastrulation, and already well into organ formations. Therefore, these embryos have brains, in, in, including the anterior region, the mid-region. They have neural tube. They have a heart with chambers that is beating. They have blood stem cells. They have the intestinal tube, in, and they have the tail. And we did a lot of characterization really to show, I would say, that these embryos are not totally normal. I would say about perhaps 90, 95% similar to natural embryos. Um, uh, but Definitely, they are by far the most sophisticated, the most advanced um, differentiation entities because they really capture the, the sequence of events and the way the organs are um, placed inside the embryo in relation to each other is very, very physiological state. That's so super exciting. Can you remember how you felt going to the lab day after day, looking at the result, like, oh my God, this is actually working. Can you remember that? <laughs> 
<laughs> Unfortunately, no. And I think that I know that this is perhaps a disappointing uh, answer. And I would say because this is um, uh, for two reasons. This is, has been, as I said, like a perhaps a very long process of, of working uh, for 12 days where we, every time we actually got one more day and increased the efficiency and increased the quality. And um, a bad habit that we have is, you know, of course we get excited, but within, within one hour we're actually thinking, what about the next step? <laughs> so this has really, of course, it has been very exciting. Um, and, you know, yes, but the, on the other hand, yes, seeing a heartbeat, you know, is it, very exciting because it really tells you this is no longer hand-waving, you know, you're, you're getting an organ-filled embryo. But but the, 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 I think really the magic, was, which is great, has been, you know, just continuous, slow, but persistent um, progress in seeing how this develop, whether it's natural embryos, whether it's synthetic embryos from the mouse. And, you know, we work on other species, for example, from rabbits and so forth. So really seeing this expanding um, uh, has been very exciting. And also, as I mentioned, what's also been exciting is really seeing different aspects that we did do research in the lab merge together really to culminate into this 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 one climax in, in other words so it's not about hasn't been only as i mentioned about how to grow embryos and build a device but actually learning how to make what we call naive stem cells particularly in humans and other species so naive stem cells are really the highest levels of stemness and um, and, and for years, people, you know, when we were working on these naive stem cells, was like, oh, why should we care? We have conventional stem cells. They're good anyways. Uh, but we now, you know, we showed before that conventional stem cells are limited in their potential. And now, actually, we show that this can only work by using naive stem cells. And so that's, you know, that is kind of the merger between the, 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 those two paths, which was perhaps, you know, not always clear, is in itself also very exciting for us and, 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 and also gives us a lot of knowledge and control really to make our results better because we've, you know, we're, we're uh, very well-versed in both aspects of this stem cell field. So currently you published fully synthetic mouse embryos, so no uh, sperm, no egg, no uterus from day zero to day eight and a half out of 20 days. Why just eight and a half? Mm -hmm. Why not nine and a half? Why not 20 days? Do you think in the future you can get synthetic yeah. embryos growing all the way? So that's an excellent question. So as, as I mentioned, in natural embryos we publish, we can reach day 11 and a half. I can share with you, actually, we now we also reach day 13 and a half. Uh, and it is interesting why in synthetic embryos we could reach only eight and a half versus if we went one day later, they became uh, not normally developed. So we couldn't call them, you know, an embryo or an equivalent embryo. And um, we believe that this is, you know, perhaps uh, um, I still believe it's a suboptimal way of the protocol. I think that I have no reason to believe that these embryos cannot go further because I think once you already finished gastrulation, you can see all the, the organs, um, they should proceed further. I think what's happening in the embryo, because as I mentioned, they are, um, there are some subtle malformations, for example, perhaps in some embryos, the heart is too big or too small, or the brain is slightly too big or too small. And that actually adds up and, and the embryo doesn't grow further. And the challenge is really how can we perhaps better confine the embryos and do some tricks to really make them aggregate in a better way. And I believe they can catch up with natural embryos. Um, whether we can, you know, get entire, um, uh, let's say we're talking about in mouse pregnancies, more of an entire pregnancy outside the uterus. Um, 
it hasn't been, a, I must say, a major focus of, of our lab because, as I mentioned, we're trying to look at how organ formation happens. Um, we are now starting to work on this on mice. Um, and one advantage is that although there's no maternal blood supply here, but these embryos have an umbilical cord and have a placenta and have blood supply. So basically, you already have what you call it the highway roads to really try perhaps and use circulation on these embryos. Now, I would think this is... Um, you know, for mouse, because mouse is very small and for 20 days of pregnancy. Oh, and, and when you're t- talking to larger animals, you're talking about bovine, monkeys, even humans one day, I don't think this is really possible. I think we're, we're, we're it's, it's, the embryos are too big. It, it's too long as far-fetched at the moment. Um, and um, we prefer actually at the moment to focus on the early stages from different species, including humans, because we we it's more about understanding how organ progenitors are formed and perhaps even you know using these organ progenitors that emerge in this process for transplantation uh, and research so let's talk about that part because I think uh, you know people think about company formation you start a company to commercialize the technology and to create products for people that suffers so yeah. What kind of uh, diseases or indication, what kind of suffering can we prevent in the world uh, using this technology if we just imagine how the future can look like? Yeah. So I think um, this is a very important question. I think, you know, it, it's, it's very important to re, re, all remember and remind ourselves that this is, this is our goal in the end, that we're trying to make early cell progenitors um, that are for their useful transplantations. And the scenario that we are really facing, you know, you can think of uh, 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 an adult woman who's infertile either because of unknown causes or from undergoing chemotherapy at a younger age, or women, you know, in modern society, perhaps, as, you know, at the, after age of 38, the, the quality of eggs really deteriorates. That's one, one, one scenario. You can think of other scenarios where you have a patient who needs bone marrow transplant or liver transplant, and he cannot find a matched donor. Uh, with these ones. And that's why what we want to explore in the company, and and we think there is um, merit and there is rationale based on what we know from mouse experiments and also what we know with conventional differentiation of stem cells, is that we can envision a scenario where such a patient uh, will come and just donate, whether it's a drop of blood or a hair, we we already know how to make these iPS cells. We then put them and make them in this naive state that I mentioned, which is really the most pristine and most potent cell, and then try to push them to self-organize into what we would call the synthetic whole embryoid model, what we call them in brief swims. You know, this kind of early differentiation for about, let's say, 20 or 30 days, which we already know, for example, germ cells or, or, or blood stem cells are already found at such early stages. And in this case, whether these cells can be taken perhaps expanded or modified if needed, and then transplanted back to that, that patient. Um, that is the scenario um, uh, that we're, we're trying to do, and I think this is what has the field been after. So that could be, you know, in, in this scenario, it could be an easy way where you can have uh, genetically ma- matched, patient-specific stem cells that self-organize into complex, authentic, differentiated cells that can be used further, either as I said, for transplantation or drug discovery, and so forth. Yeah, and, and as you know, just recently we got an email from a young 22-year-old uh, woman that, uh, you know, 
very emotionally wrote to us that uh, she lost the ability to to procreate because she was diagnosed with cancer and she didn't have time to freeze her egg before she had to undergo chemo chemotherapy and you know people want to have their own babies um, and it's very emotional and hopefully we can solve this problem one day no something you know <laughs> as I said, I've seen in the clinic from my physician <laughs> training as a physician but as you, I mean I've, I've been you know getting such emails and, and, and for years about this and there are And other ways and in general in the field and I think you know the stem cells many say oh there's the stem cell promise and you know where uh, why hasn't been so much progress so I would say actually actually has there has been a lot of progress and I think the cells can do it and I think there's very you know when you see these cells self-organized into an embryo you realize that the cells can do the job is that we need to learn how to control them in a way uh, and use them for this benefit um, so that so, so this is I think it provides a new path of getting at this problem I think it's a very strong and valid path um, and it's a very unique one um, and and that's what we would like to explore and in many different directions and see what it can be good for amazing really truly amazing and uh, in NFX we like to support scientist founders uh, and in this company you know there are two kind of scientist founder uh, of course you're a scientist uh, in Weizmann Institute you're staying at Weizmann you're still doing a lot of amazing basic research while while helping the company so I'd love to hear what's your experience been so far and then your students you know uh, they went they did your their PhD they did postdoc some of them went to industry some to academy and now many of them are coming back to to work on this project and uh, You know, what do you think about this uh, journey of a scientist founder? Um, yeah, uh, well, I think you know, I must say it's a very exciting one. Um, you know, this is the first company that I'm involved with Kofani, and I think probably is the last one. Um, and for me, the reason is that, you know, we for me, starting trying to make something, this is something I'm very, very committed to. I think this has been a goal after, and I think... Um, You know, this is high time really to try to push this and the company is not it's also of course about trying to commercialization but the company can also push the science very much forward and then, um, and so I mean, you know this is a learning experience for me it's been you know very very good one so far um, and uh, really challenging and putting the plan but really what's what as you mentioned what has been most special is that uh, you know that you um, being able to recruit former students from from my lab that uh, went on and actually became experts in other fields you know one of them is actually now become a very expert in hematopoietic stem cells um, um, one others is really uh, expert in transplantation in pigs of certain organs so actually that's really exciting because um, you know it's it's watching them mature uh, they they have you Even knowledge in things that far beyond what I do have um, and it's and we know each other and it's nice to kind of you know kind of get the work together at the higher level in some uh, some end uh, and a different and and, and, uh, and this kind of enthusiasm and many many ideas together and so I think it's also a, a very healthy way of, and fun way of doing it Yeah, in some places like the Weizmann Institute are like the bastions of like basic science and all the ethics, you know, all the setting up uh, scientists to focus just on basic science. But my experience in companies like Mammoth Bioscience, where Jennifer Donda is uh, the co-founder, that obviously you can still be, be an amazing, curiosity-driven basic scientist and start companies. Mm-hmm. 
And some of your students can go start companies and some of your students can go become amazing scientists and your companies can give you resources back to the lab so you can do more science. And so I think for my experience, it's a win-win for, for a scientist. Actually, I mean, I can, you can add one when you were talking about the Wiseman Institute about the basic research. I think maybe, so I think, um, you know, I think the Wiseman actually, you know, it's a, you can do research, whatever you want, whether it's basic, whether applied and, and, and these things. And this is very curiosity driven, but you know, what, what always proves itself again and again, as you mentioned, whether it was the CRISPR from before and that basic science typically goes hands in hands and, and this understanding leads to development that are highly applied. And I think in our example, really learning about what, what does it mean to be a naive cell and what is the signaling pathway for us, a naive cell, and really trying to be curious why you can't grow an embryo at late stages. Um, uh, and then, of course, that develops into an applied thing, which helps you go back and answer a basic thing. So particularly in the stem cell field, I think we are lucky because we're, we're always, you know, going, you know, we're uh, uh, go, together, you know, we're uh, doing two things most of the time, you know, it's both sides of the coins. We're, we're advancing basic knowledge that helps advanced technology, technology that goes back again and feeds in and increasing our knowledge of basic research. And I think uh, this is what's happening in, for us in this case and uh, very helpful for us. And we, we will continue, that's why, to answer basic questions on, on this process. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much. It will be exciting.